the Lord for that. Well, we're in Matthew chapter 7. If you're there, say amen. amen. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we've been taking a journey through this greatest of sermons that was ever preached. And now we come to the invitation of Jesus' sermon. And it is quite an invitation. After taking time to contrast the true citizens of the kingdom of God with the false ones, Jesus now brings this message to a point of decision. And in these words, Jesus will demand a verdict. Which one are you? Are you a true citizen of heaven or aren't you? Are you a child of God or aren't you? Are you a believer truly or not? Are you saved or are you not saved? And what has already been a very confrontational sermon in the subjects Jesus approaches, this is perhaps the most severe of all the things that Jesus has to say. Because there is nothing more important than what Jesus is going to ask of you today. We live in a time where people don't want to be convicted. Most people want to hear a message that makes them just feel good about the life they're already living. That is not the message that Jesus has for us here. And because this is the message Jesus preaches, it's the message I'm going to declare to you today. Jesus calls you out of a life of sin. Deception is twofold. And listen to me closely on this. He wants to get believers to doubt that they really are saved. And he wants to get unbelievers to think that they are saved. And Jesus deals with both of those satanic attacks in his conclusion to this message. Now the fact of the matter is, there's only two people that know whether or not you're really saved. That's God and you. I can't tell you. I can tell you what the Bible says about being saved. That's as far as I can take you. Only God and you know what is true in your hearts. The Bible says in Romans 8.16 that the Spirit of God itself bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. In other words, if you're saved, God will make sure you understand and know it. But on the same count, if you are not saved, the Spirit of God is also working to draw you to Jesus Christ for salvation. And He will convict your heart of sin and make you realize your need for a Savior in Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 12, if I, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men, all men, unto me. You make no mistake about it. You aren't saved in here. Jesus will be working by the power of His Spirit through His Word to draw you to trust Christ as your Savior today. And so Jesus concludes this sermon by giving you two choices. If you read verses 13 down to the end of the chapter, you see... These two choices being given to you in several different metaphors. There's two gates, two ways, two destinations, two trees, two types of fruit, two people, two foundations, and two builders. Obviously, Jesus is trying to demonstrate something. Obviously, Jesus is trying to show us something here. And He is demanding of each one of us, which one will you choose? Now, we make choices every day. Every single day. But there is one choice you will make that is more important than every choice you have ever made or ever will make. 
And that is your choice concerning what you'll do with the truth of Jesus Christ. This is the only choice you will ever make that will matter for eternity. That's how heavy this choice is that Jesus is calling you to make today. And so of the two decisions Jesus presents, which one will you choose? That's what I want you to consider as we study this passage of Scripture. And Jesus in this text offers three words of counsel to you to help guide you in making the right decision. And I want you to think about this in your own spirit as we go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to pray for God to speak to our heart. And I want you to pray and ask for God to show you what the decision is you need to make today. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Our Father, we come before you. We thank you for this opportunity to open your word. And Lord, my heart has been so stirred as I've studied this passage of Scripture. And I know that you have something that you want to do today. And I pray that I would not be a hindrance to it. I pray that none of us in this room would be resistant to the work that you are desiring to do in our hearts today. And I pray especially for those who are lost. Some of them, they're so lost they don't even know that they are. I pray that you, by the power of your word, and through the power of your spirit, using your word, would help them to understand their sin and their need for Jesus as a personal Savior. Not just a head knowledge of Christ, but a heart acceptance. I pray there would be true salvation brought to the hearts of those who don't truly know you as Savior today. And for those of us that know you, I pray that we would be strengthened in our confidence and our faith in you. And we pray these th things in Jesus' name. Amen. Three words of counsel Jesus gives us to help, make it, help us make the right decision. First off, you've got to choose the right path. You've got to choose the right path. Path. Now look at verse number 13 in our text. The Bible says in verse number 13, if you're there, say amen. amen. It says, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now Jesus first illustrates this decision you need to make by using two diverging paths. Let's consider both of them. The first, the first path I want you to write down is the broad way. The broad way. Notice again how Jesus describes this broad and wide way in verse 13 in the middle part of the verse. The Bible, Jesus speaking here says, For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to what? Destruction. Destruction and many there be which go in thereat. Now, no doubt Jesus had in mind the entrance in verse 13. Again, the Bible tells us there, For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. When, you're in, when you enter in on this path, the broad way, it's easy going. It's not hard. The Bible indicates the farther you get down this road, it gets narrower and narrower until it abruptly ends in ruin. And destruction. Jesus indicated that the majority of people are tra traveling down this path in life. The broad way. It's the path of ease. It's a path that if you take it, you can live however you want. And they say you'll still go to heaven. You can believe what you want. Well, all roads lead to the same place. Don't you know that? Well, the Bible doesn't say that. But that's what the people who are on the broad way believe. It's an easy way. 
Not a hard way. And yet the farther you get down this road, the more you begin to wonder if you didn't take the wrong way. The more you begin to wonder if it's leading you to a place where you want to go. And listen to me, I've sat at the bedside of many a person who took the broad way in life, and when they get to the end, they regret it. Now, I've also sat by the bedside of many who have taken the broad way and decided before they passed to take the narrow way, praise God. You won't like where this pathway leads to. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And it might seem so good to go down this path. It might seem the path that feels good to you, that feels right to you, but your feelings are fickle. What you need to trust your life on is not your feelings, but on the Word of God. It's Broadway. It starts easy, but it ends hard. The Bible says it ends in destruction. Apollea, the Greek word there, it means ruin. Oh, utter loss. And it's not talking about a loss of your being. No, you'll live forever somewhere. What it's talking about is a loss of your well-being. This is a path that promises you heaven, but ends in hell. And you need to understand the severity of taking the wrong way in life. It's a path that starts easy, but it ends hard. The second thing I see is it starts with many, but it ends alone. It starts with many, but ends alone. The end of verse 13 says, And many there be which go in there at life, and few there be that find it. Jesus, in contrast to the Broadway, now encourages you, challenges you to take instead the straight and narrow way. He says at the beginning of verse number 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate. Now that word enters, a word that indicates it's not enough to know the way. You've got to go the way. You understand? It's not enough to know that the entrance is there. You've got to actually go in. And there's a way that God tells you to go in. And listen to me. There are many people who know all about the gospel, but they have never personally received the gospel. They know all about how Jesus died on the cross for their sins and all about how He rose again, but they have not understood why they need Christ to die for their sins and rise again to save their soul. Jesus says, enter. Not everyone is automatically given entrance. Now the entryway is available to everyone, but not everybody takes it. And so Jesus says, enter in the straight and narrow. And he makes several facts clear to us about this straight and narrow path. First off, write this down. He makes clear that it is a difficult path. It is a difficult path. Verse number 14, again, the Bible says, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way. Now that word straight, it comes from the Greek word stenos, which literally means restricted or difficult to enter into. You mark this down in your mind. There is nothing easy about the Christian life. Not one thing. To become a Christian and to live as God has called us to live is not a bed of roses and it is not a life of ease. It's easier and easier the longer you walk in. I like what the Bible says in Proverbs 4 and verse 18. The path of the justice is a shining light which shines more and more unto the perfect day. Listen, it hasn't always been easy, been easy being a Christian, but the longer I've walked with the Lord, the sweeter and sweeter it has become. Amen. It's a difficult way. It's a difficult path, but I see this number two. I see it as a different path. It's a different path. Verse 14, the middle part of the verse says, but in narrow is the way. 
Now, the idea behind the word narrow is actually uh, a modern-day modern uh, picture of a, the idea behind the word narrow would be a turnstile. You ever you've gone through one of those things? You can only go in one at a time. And we actually had some unique ones we went through in Europe when we went on our missions trip this past year. Perhaps some of you have seen some of those over there. Uh, but boy, only one person can go through, uh, through one of those turnstiles at a time. And the idea is that there's only one way by which you can enter the narrow way, the narrow gate. You know what that way is? Jesus told us. He said, I'm it. <laughs> I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said in John 10, I am the door. In Acts 4.12, the Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none of the name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's Jesus and only Jesus. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. And that is the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified of in due time. That's Jesus. Jesus is the only way that you can enter in to the uh, kingdom of heaven. It's only through Jesus. Listen, the masses don't travel this way. You can only come in one at a time. You can't bring your kids with you. You can't bring your grandkids with you. Every man, woman, boy, and girl has to make their own decision about whether or not they'll take this way. It is a narrow way. It's a different way. It's not the way that the world is going. And that's why the Bible says that few, few take this way. It's not easy. To travel by this way will require you to swim against the stream of our culture. It's the road less traveled. It's not the popular way. We see it's a difficult way. We see it's a different path. I also see that it's a delightful path. Verse 14. The Bible says at the end of verse number 14, uh, in the middle of, of verse uh, number 14, narrow is the way which leadeth unto what? Life. life. It leads to life. That word life doesn't say eternal life, but it's indicated there. The word life, zoe, in the Greek, it literally speaks of the life of God in the soul of man. And so what's actually indicated by that word is not just that you'll go and live with God forever in eternity in heaven, but that God will come and live forever within you today. You don't have to wait till heaven to experience this life. If you get saved, you've got the life of God in you now. And boy, that's what makes it such a joy. That's what makes it such a delight to be able to walk with God. I don't have to wait to meet God till heaven. I can experience communion with God every day as I walk the narrow way. Jesus says, go the, go the narrow way. Enter in by the narrow way. You will not ever, ever regret for having done so. Adrian Rogers told this story. And it's so good I couldn't help but share it. He talked about a man who went to a particular city, and in the city there was a nightclub. You know what the name of the nightclub was? The Gates of Hell. What a name for a nightclub. It just so happened in that same city, that night, the same, on the same street of that nightclub, there was a church called Calvary. Calvary Church. And this man came to the city, and he stopped the police officer, and he asked the officer, Can you tell me how to get to the Gates of Hell? And he said, I'll tell you exactly how to get there. He said, if you want to get to the gates of hell, you just go right down this street and go right past Calvary. And it'll be right down there on the end. Yeah. And I tell you, these two ways are so divergent that they only ever cross at one point. You know where it is? Calvary. At the cross of Christ, 
You have to make your decision. Am I going to go Christ's way? Or am I going to go my own way? Am I going to take the easy way? Or am I going to take the difficult way? Listen, the rewards make it worth it. To have Christ in your heart. To know your sins are forgiven. That you're on your way to heaven. But you have a choice to make today. Which way will you choose? Jesus tells us here that you need to choose the right path. You see, you can only take one road at a time. You can't go two directions at once. You're going to have to choose which way you're going to go. Choose the right path. The second word of counsel that Jesus gives to us this morning is to follow the right people. Follow the right people. Now look at verse number 15. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. Verse 15, the Bible says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Jesus now illustrates this decision you need to make with two opposite people. He talks about these two opposite people. There is the one whose life brings forth that which is evil, and there is the one whose life brings forth that which is good. Verse 16 says, You shall know them by their fruits. And so as Jesus calls us to consider these two types of people, first off, I want you to note down the fleece that they wear. The fleece that they wear. Verse 15, again, the Bible says, Beware of false prophets. He says, Beware. He starts off with a word of warning here. Watch out. Take heed for this. He says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. The first person Jesus speaks about here is the false prophet. Uh, the pseudo-prophetes, the fake prophet, the ingenuine, insincere prophet. A false prophet is someone who says one thing and means another. He's a hypocrite. That's exactly who Jesus is talking about here. He will feign to speak the truth, but he's actually telling you lies. He will use the guise of ministry to make merchandise of people. You want to see a false prophet, just turn your television on, and very soon you'll watch them for a little while, and then they'll say, and for, uh, for $99.99, then I can pray for you. <laughs> or something along the line. False prophet. They're in it for the money, not in it for the ministry. And sadly, false prophets are popular because they say what people want to hear. The prophet Jeremiah talked about these kinds of false prophets. In Jeremiah 5.31, he said, The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. Isn't that revealing? We know they're not telling the truth, but we like what they're saying. And Paul warned us that the time would come when men will not endure sound doctrine but will heap to themselves teachers having evening wolves. I never thought about this before, and sometimes I um, am, am impressed with my own ignorance, okay? <laughs> you know the Bible doesn't say that, that they, are they are wolves that are dressing up like sheep. That's not what it says at all. What it says here is that they come to you in sheep's clothing. Who was it that wore sheep's clothing in Bible times? The shepherds. They would shear their sheep. And they would often be clothed with the wool that they'd take from their sheep. And so what is not being said here is that the prophets are impersonating sheep. What is being said here is that the, these false prophets 
impersonate the shepherd. That's a dangerous thing. You see, he's warning about these false prophets, these false leaders that are leading people astray. They take the same form as someone who should have the appearance of being a spiritual leader. But that is not what they are after at all. And I'll say this, Satan's most effective means of attacking the church is the part of having your best interest in mind. But it's their inner motives that you've got to watch out because the Bible says inwardly they are what? Ravening wolves. Jesus metaphorically compares them to these ravenous wolves. Now, the word ravenous is the Greek harpax. It, it literally means a swindler or a robber. It's actually how it's translated in other places in the Scripture. And it speaks of one who deceitfully or mercilessly ravages a person spiritually or materially. And I say that's what a false prophet wants to do with you? To swindle you. To win you over to their cause. To get out of you what they want to get out of you. The Bible warns about this in 2 Peter 2.3. It says, And through covetousness, shall, through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. So we see these false prophets, the fleece that they're wearing. But can I tell you, indirectly Jesus incites that there are also true prophets. People who, they wear sheep's clothing. Shall know them by their what, church? Fruits. fruits. By their fruits do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles. Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but every corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. It's interesting the words Jesus has here. He switches the metaphor. From that of sheep and wolves, now he uses two different kinds of trees. And two different kinds of fruit that they produce. Now you wouldn't go to a thorn bush and expect to find grapes there. Neither can you go to someone who their inner nature is corrupt and expect to find something that is good. Everything in nature produces after its kind. And this is true about us as humanity as well. If you have an evil heart, you'll produce evil works. You have a good heart that's been transformed by the grace of Christ. You'll produce in your life that which is good. Matthew Henry said, the fruit is according to the tree. As the tree is, even shall the fruit be. So when you evaluate your own life, and the life of people who you're following, you need to understand this important principle that Jesus is laying out for us here. You cannot, you cannot always tell if a tree is good or not by its nature. So what the Bible's talking about here is not just the outward works you do, but the inward motives that move you to those works. Anybody can fool anybody on the outside. Jesus has made this clear throughout this sermon. But now he's going back to our inner motives. And he's saying what's in your heart will eventually come out in your hands. And so listen to me on this statement right here. The fruit of a person's life will reveal the true nature of their heart. In a parallel passage in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus said, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaketh. And I say to you, 
If your faith has not changed your life, then it is very unlikely that it has changed your heart. And what we struggle with today is that we have a Christian version of Christianity that requires nothing of people. We are not saved by our works, but if you are truly saved and the Spirit of God comes into your heart, you cannot help but be transformed. And it's about time we understand this. This is why false prophets, false teachers are so dangerous because unbelievers and worldly Christians are attracted to false teachers because they encourage them to live however they want. You can have your best life now. I can go on down the line and talk about a lot of this, but I'm not going to get into the weeds today. There are plenty of them available for you to tell you exactly what you want to hear. False teachers act as a magnet to attract false people, false believers to them. But the other thing about magnets is they attract things that are like to them, but they repel those who aren't like them. And as a, as a believer, if you have the Spirit of God, I'm going to cut them down, chop them up, throw them in my woodshed, and burn them this winter. That's what I'm going to do with them. Because that's all they're good for. That's exactly what Jesus is saying for us here. The fate of the false believer is to be damned for all eternity. That's hard to hear, but you need to hear it. Because if you're going the wrong way, now's the time for you to turn around. Amen. Here's the good news. On the flip side of that, those who heed the truth of God's Word and follow God's one way given to us uh, salvation through Jesus Christ, you will not be damned forever. You will live forever. Jesus said in John 3 and verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. But he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So there are two different types of people calling you to follow them down two very different paths. And the choice is up to you who you're going to listen to. I'll say this. You should look where a person is headed before you follow them. The fruit of their life should be a condition upon whether or not you follow them where they're going. Psalm 37 and verse 37 says, Mark the perfect or the upright man. And behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together, and the end of the wicked shall be cut off. Who are you going to follow today? Which way are you going to choose? Jesus gives us three pieces of counsel. Choose the right path. Trust the right people. But then the, the final thing, or follow the right people. And the final thing I'll say is, you've got to trust the right principle. Trust the right principle. Now we come to verse 21. We're almost done, but I want you to listen to me very closely. Verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Oh, I skipped the verse, didn't I? Y'all didn't tell me. <laughs> verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But in heaven, the true test of faith in Christ is obedience to the will of God. 
The true test of faith in Christ is obedience to the will of God. The Bible says there in verse number 21 that not everyone who professes Christ will go to heaven. Isn't that interesting? Not everyone. Now, I've had people tell me all the time, well, don't you know, Pastor, all roads lead to the same place. And, uh, well, we know there's Catholics and there's this kind and there's that kind and there's Muslim and there's this kind and that kind, but we all basically believe in the same God and we're all basically going to go to the same place. And basically what the Bible says is, no, that's not true. <laughs> not even close. See, if you don't submit to God's one way, there is no way that you will ever go to heaven. You say, that's exclusive. That's narrow. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Amen. The way is narrow. He's only given you one way, but praise God, we don't deserve it. He has given us a way to be saved. So He wants us to understand this. And Jesus said, it's only those who do the will of God who will enter heaven. Well, that begs an important question. What's the will of God? If going to heaven is conditional on, a, on doing the will of God, being obedient to the will of God, what is the will of God? You know, Jesus told us exactly what that is. Look in your notes at John 6 and verse 40. He says, and this is the will of Him, of the Father that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. God's will is first and foremost, primarily, that every person believe in Christ for salvation. Listen, this is so important. That not in your baptism, not in your good works, in Him. You need Him. You don't need any other. You need Him. His will is first and foremost for you to trust Christ as your Savior. And then after you get saved, God makes clear that it is His will for you to live in obedience to His Word. John 8, John 8 and verse 31, Jesus said, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, or truly. In other words, if you're really saved, there'll be a growing desire in your heart to want to follow in the ways of Christ. That's what Jesus is teaching to us here. And so if we call Jesus our Lord, it makes sense naturally that we would then own Him as our Lord and do what He says. So we see the... the uh, uh, possessors of the faith. But the second group Jesus talks about here are the professors. Those who merely profess faith in Christ, but do not truly possess it. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils? and thy name have done many wonderful works? Listen. Jesus confronts us with a startling truth here. Don't miss this. There are those who profess faith in Christ, but do not actually possess true faith in Christ. It is easy to say it. It is another thing to believe it in your heart. And that is exactly what the Bible is saying and what is most convicting and what is most alarming to me personally is the first word that we see there in verse 22. What is it? Many. I just looked at the statistic this morning. 70% of Americans lay claim to the title Christian. According to a study done by Arizona University. Jesus says many of those 
who make such a claim think they're saved, but they aren't. Let's get more personal. In this room, there are many of you who think you're saved, but you aren't. You're trusting in something other than Jesus. You aren't really saved. See, the principle that a false professor trusts in is his religious activity. And religious works have deceived more people into hell than perhaps anything else. The Bible is clear that you cannot be saved by your good works. Listen to me. Ephesians 2. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible says in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, Not of works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He has saved us. And so to think that your good works can save you is what Jesus refers to, to here in verse 23 as iniquity. Look at verse 23. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Adrian Rogers said, spiritual activity without scriptural authority is satanic iniquity. In other words, if you get busy doing religious things and thinking that because you do the religious things, you're going to heaven, you have deceived yourself. You are not trusting in the one way, Jesus. You are trusting in your own way. You're trying to work your way to heaven and you will never be able to do it. Well, pastor, I know I'm saved. I've been baptized. Well, good for you. You know, I take a shower just about every day too, but I don't, don't, don't know I'm going to heaven because I got wet. You say, well, it's more significant than that. And yes, the Bible does teach baptism, but baptism is just supposed to be a symbol of something that's real, like a wedding ring. Listen, I forgot my wedding ring this morning. My wife found it and brought it for me, okay? So now I've got it. But if I didn't have it, guess what? I'm still married. <laughs> Why do you put it on? I want other people to know it. I put a big one on her because I want everybody to know it for sure. <laughs> if I forget it, nobody cares, okay? She's got to have that on there, though. Listen, that's all baptism is. It's a public declaration of a private decision. Personal decision. Your baptism can't save you. Church can't save you. None of these things can save you. And you go down through what these people, uh, what these people in Jesus' illustration tried to say. They brought up all kinds of things. They said, Lord, Lord, at the final judgment. False professors, they have a false profession. I've called you Lord to call the name of the Lord continually, but to never do what he says is the essence of a false profession. You can call Jesus Lord, but never trust in Jesus as Savior, and you will not be saved. You can say, well, I believe you died on the cross, and I believe you rose from the dead, and I know all these things. False preaching. These false professors, they also have a false power. Well, in thy name we cast out devils, they said in verse number 22. You know Judas Iscariot? He claimed to be a believer. He did miracles. He cast out demons. But he was not saved, was he? The ability to do miracles, God can choose anybody to do those things. Listen, God used a donkey to preach his word in the Bible. If you don't believe it, you go study your Bible. You'll find it out. God can use anybody. Just because you did something 
Just because you had an experience doesn't mean that you're saved. You've got to do it the Bible way, you see. False professors, they have false power. False professors also have false performance. They said at the end of verse 22, And in thy name, Lord, we did many wonderful works. John Phillips said anything done in Jesus' name that he himself has not commanded is simply another form of iniquity. We did all these things. You went and did it, but I didn't send you, God says. You went and did it, but not in my power. And they bring up all these things. God, I was baptized. God, I went to church. God, I served the vacation Bible school. God, I... And it won't be enough. Because in the end, this is what happens. Verse 23. Then I will profess unto them, say it out loud with me, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. A false professor tries to get to heaven without Christ. And you will be sadly disappointed when you...